Hey everyone, welcome back or welcome to the 20% Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Meckes. Today's guest is David Krieger. He's the president of Caldwell Banker Preferred, which handles residential brokerage in Pennsylvania. David has been in the real estate industry for 23 years, working his way all the way up from sales agent to president of the company. For those not aware, the real estate industry completely shut down in Pennsylvania for two whole months at the beginning of the pandemic. There was really no ability to sell or list any homes once COVID started. On today's podcast, we covered real estate in 2020 and beyond, his journey from sales agent to president of the company, as well as the importance of not letting any commission get in the way of affecting your reputation. Please enjoy my conversation with David Krieger. David, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Tyler. I appreciate it. It is no problem. I'm so excited. I'm, we have a lot to cover in 27 minutes here, so we'll get right to it. Right now, for you guys who don't know, David is the president of Caldwell, Bank, Caldwell Banker Preferred. Uh, they handle residential brokerage in, in the central Pennsylvania area. And real estate's a great spot to be in right now. Uh, for, for context, we're, we're recording. It's um, the end of November in 2020. Um, so I'll kick it over to you, David. Uh, it's been a crazy year, I'm sure. Uh, not, not just for you guys, but everybody. Um, what was going through your head at the beginning of the pandemic in the real estate industry and, and what's changed about real estate in 2020? Sure, sure. Thank you. Good question. So, you know, in the beginning, I think we were kind of like everyone else, just trying to figure it out. You know, we were listening to a lot of different orders that were being issued, I guess, just for clarity purposes. So um, I run two separate companies. I run Cobalt Banker Preferred, which is in the Philadelphia market. And then I run uh, Cobalt Banker Residential Brokerage in central Pennsylvania. So we, we have about 20 offices, close to 1,400 realtors in uh, those areas. We're also in Jersey and Delaware. Um, so, you know, it was challenging because we were getting guidance from a lot of different entities, the governor's office, the uh, local municipalities, the trade organizations that we dealt with. And it was, um, you know, a challenge to sift through all of that. Unfortunately, for those in Pennsylvania, where about 85% of our business comes from, um, we, we got shut down. And real estate was considered to be a non-essential service. So for approximately 60 days, we weren't even allowed to show homes. So wow. um, we needed to pivot. Our agents needed to figure out how to conduct their business virtually. And for the most part, we did a really great job. Um, we have uh, a lot of tools that enabled us to do that fairly fluidly. Um, but there was a challenge. There was a challenge. Not being able to enter homes made it difficult to sell homes. Right. And then once those restrictions were um, lessened, I guess at the end of June, the floodgates just absolutely opened up. We had uh, month over month, quarter over quarter gains that um, have been the most productive months and quarters since I've gotten into the business 23, 24 years ago. So uh, it has been gangbusters and it has not slowed, frankly. Um, I think real estate, um, yeah, it's fueled by a lot of things. It's fueled by historically low interest rates. It's, it's fueled by uh, limited supply, limited inventory. But what I think most it has done is it's really created an opportunity for people to really rethink their, uh, their real estate, to really think, rethink you know, how they live, where they live, what they have from an amenity standpoint. Um, and I think that has fueled a lot of movement within our business. And I think that's going to continue well into 2021. 
Yeah, I mean, from from what I hear, and um, you know, we're looking into to, to houses as well. So it's been been pretty tough. So I'm going to ask your advice on on for people looking into houses soon as well. Um, so I'm, I'm very very well aware of the the short the demand or short supply rather. Um, but how do you, during these tough times? How do you manage? I'm sure you had your agents freaking out and stressing out. How did you help to lead them through some of that potentially scary two month span? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's another good question. You know, I, I, I just over communicated, right? I, I just kept the lines of communication very, very open. I provided guidance on a weekly, if not multiple times a week basis, any updates that we're hearing from, you know, the local uh, associations, the governor's orders. So, you know, for me, from where I sit, uh, because look, I'm, I was working out of my home, like all of my agents working out of their home. So, um, we, we, we provided a ton of um, communications and we also used the opportunity while everyone was working out of their home and, you know, frankly, not out there listing homes or selling homes the traditional way. We used that as an opportunity to really um, increase our educational offerings, increasing um, the masterminds that we did, increasing the collaboration amongst offices, amongst top producers, amongst folks who are looking to grow their business to help everyone learn from one another. So it, it really did create an opportunity for people really to, to sharpen their saw, both in understanding how to be more productive in this virtual environment, but just also in general, how to be better salespeople. And it was an opportunity that, frankly, people typically don't have because they're running, they're, they're putting fires out, they're putting right. deals under contract. So there was definitely a silver lining in helping our agents grow as professionals as a result. And are you a guy who, who typically tries to pull the silver lining out of, of the potential bad situations? Sure. You know, look, if, if we're in sales, we always have to be looking for the positive. But, you know, I, I, I spend a lot of time working on my mind, right? Positive affirmations, feeding my brain with the right positive things, trying not to read the newspaper or watch the news in the morning. And yeah, you have to. And it's in, in, in today's age with, you know, obviously, you know, COVID and the social unrest, you know, you got to pay attention to the issues, but we have to be much more purposeful in not making it sure that you, right. I'm sorry. And not let it consume you and you just it, consume it what you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that is so tough. And, and that's really cool that you guys took the time to, to educate your reps as well, knowing I'm a sales professional as well. And I've been doing it for, you know, two and a half years. So I'm fairly new in, into, into the sales world, right? Um, I couldn't even tell you the amount that I've learned by just being in the office and soaking up from other sales reps. But now we unfortunately can't get that same type of, you know, learning, right? right. So I think that that was a great time for you guys to come together. Now, you didn't always start in the, the president position. You, you started as a sales rep yourself. Can you dive into a little bit further about what that journey looked like on your way up to the seat you're in now? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it was, um, it was a lot of hard work. You know, look, I, I, I started as an agent. I loved being an agent. I was very successful at it. Um, I made the personal decision that I wanted to go back to business school. So I went, got, went, went back and got my MBA after selling for a number of years. And um, from there, I still, you know, kept my license active. And although I was full time at business school, you know, I sold to my close family and friends, a couple of investors that, you know, I worked closely with in the years prior. So I, I was still affiliated with my brokerage. So the founding partner of my company, um, he and I would, would talk all the time. And, 
when I was getting ready to graduate, he asked to see if I'd be willing to come back to work for him. And I said, doing what? And I remember this, his response was, I don't know, but we'll figure it out. So, you know, after a couple of meetings with him, you know, we made the determination that, you know, within a year's time, um, we'd start to open up offices in Center City for the company. And I got my MBA in Management Information Systems. So I used that time to really sharpen my skills in recruiting because that's a huge part of what we do from a growth perspective to run offices and also to revamp the uh, websites and the lead flow and the CRMs that we were doing. Um, and then in 2003, less than a year from when I started back in an employee role, we opened up our first office in Society Hill, Pennsylvania, and then became the general manager and then became one of the owners of the company. And then in 2010, we sold the company to Realogy, which is the largest residential real estate holding company in the world. Well, the U.S., arguably the world. Um, and then a couple years later, I became president of Cobalt Bank Preferred. And then a couple years later, I became president of Cobalt Bank Residential Brokerage in Central Pennsylvania. So that's kind of my journey. Wow, that is an incredible journey. And it sounds like it started based upon a, a relationship that you had. Um, I'm, uh, the more conversations that I have in, uh, in, in more podcasts I do, there's been a huge emphasis on the importance of relationships. How do you build relationships and, and, do you, and why do you see them as important as well? Yeah, I mean, especially in, in any sales, but residential real estate sales, it's, it's all about relationships. It's all about um, providing value and leveraging your sphere of influence. I mean, I always say to my agents, you're in the, you're in the best sales business in the world because you're not selling $50,000 industrial copiers. You're selling a commodity, something either everyone has or aspires to have or aspires to sell. So everyone that is within your orbit is a potential client. Um, and that's all about relationships. It starts with obviously getting the word out and making sure when people think of real estate, they think of you, right? And then being that resource, being the source of information, whether they're ready to sell or not. And then of course, just like crushing it on the service level that you provide so that when someone in their sphere of influence is thinking about buying or selling, you've got these raving fans out there just simply raising their hand unprovoked and saying, you need to talk to, to Tyler, you need to speak with Rachel because they're going to do the absolute best job for you as they did for me. And that, that's the endorsement that goes beyond any type of investment that you can make in leads or whatever it may be. Those are the opportunities to grow a business from the ground up properly. And that's all about relationships. Yeah. Relationships that lead to referrals. It sounds like Absolutely. And that's, uh, that's one of the biggest things that is, that's really, really cool. So, um, it sounds like personal brand is important there too. Do you have any good examples of, of how maybe some of your reps or even how you've done it yourself, grow your personal brand and, and help to build that foundation to grow? And, and maybe, in, you know, this may not even be applied to just real estate, but maybe just sales in general or, or brand development. Yeah, I, look, I think that, I mean, I've, I've got huge uh, teams that work for me, who have worked for me, with me, really as independent contractors for many, many years super successful individual agents, you know, the, the actual brand that you create, I believe is less important than the consistency of the branding. 
right? So wherever you are, if you create a brand, we have a product called Design Concierge, right? So we have an in-house advertising agency that we can leverage and utilize, that our agents can leverage and utilize to create, you know, a brand, a logo, a tagline, a brochure, a marketing piece. And whatever that may be, that needs to be consistent with who you are. But I believe the most important thing about personal branding is to be consistent. So, you know, when we brand an agent, you know, we, we support them in branding, you know, their business cards, their brochures, their, their email uh, digital signatures, their, their headers on social media. We just want to make sure that whatever it may be, there's a consistent branding across all platforms. And then Coldwell Banker, we just went through our own um, new branding. It's been uh, many, many decades, and we just modified and went to what's called as the Coldwell Banker North Star, which is a new logo for us, and it's the first change, substantial change in many years. But we believe that the agent's brand needs to be at the forefront of the branding message, and the company's brand is behind the scenes to support that agent brand. Absolutely. Cause they're the one, you know, your, your rep is going to be the one who's actually doing the selling, but nice to have that background of this is what we do as a, a business and our, our branding in general then. Right. Absolutely. And look, we, you know, we have one of the most recognizable brands in America. We've been doing this since 1906. Um, you know, we are a company that's steeped in integrity and uh, a foundation of stability and strength. And those are things that support the agents brand, whatever it may be. Um, but, you know, it is about the agent and the company in the backdrop supporting the agent to make what we believe to be the best combination to support their growth. Absolutely. And it sounds like the, you have to have good service to, to follow that up too. That, that is great. I want to dive into, um, you know, what would be your best piece of advice for somebody trying to currently buy a house? Get a real estate agent. <laughs> reach out I to mean, David, seriously. right? <laughs> What's that? I said reach out to Dave. Yeah, well, look, I don't listen and sell. None of my leadership team lists and sell. We do not compete. You know, we believe that uh, the leadership team is better suited supporting and growing the office than it is competing with our agents. Um, but yeah, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the, the idea of how you pay for a real estate agent when you're looking for a house the majority of the time the commission is being offered by the seller to their agent and that agent shares the commission with your agent. So typically you're not actually paying to have representation. The seller is oftentimes paying that commission for the buyer's agent on your behalf. And it is a more than ever a very, very tricky process to buy a home. There's limited inventory, um, you know, a, a property that is priced right and, and shows well is in good showing condition in the right sweet spot. We're seeing seven, eight, 10, 15 offers on any one home. So making sure that your, your offer is buttoned up properly, making sure that you have the right pre-approvals in place, making sure that you're selecting contingencies within your agreement of sale that's going to give your offer the best possible look to get accepted. Um, it more than ever, it is critical to have a real estate agent representing you to get you the best opportunity to get the home. Wow. So, and if we're getting, if, if people are getting seven to 15 offers to flip it onto the seller side, maybe somebody's considering trying to sell their home. 
what would you recommend or how would you recommend them going about selling a home? Like maybe for, from a pricing perspective, if they're getting this many offers, do you see, um, you know, the, this asking price is going up as well? Yeah. I mean, look, yeah, the homes are appreciating, excuse me, in, in all markets across the board, primarily. Um, we work with our agents a lot on, on things called strike price, right? So, you know, a lot of, a lot of um, sellers look at, you know, what has historically sold and they also look at um, what is active on the market to price their property. But the best way to price property is to look at what is pending, what is actively under contract, because that gives us the cleanest snapshot of what it looks like today. Now, the challenge with that is um, those um, prices that they went under contract for prior to them settling are not for public consumption. That is not something that is, is readily available. But there's, there's a formula that we use that says, okay, based upon the list price, based upon the days on market, how long the property was on the market before it went under contract, gives you a good understanding of whether that home met the strike price because it seems somewhat counterintuitive to list a property lower to get a higher price. But oftentimes when you list it, not necessarily lower, but at the proper strike price, you're gonna be able to generate that much more activity and that activity will result in more bids competing against one another, which ultimately will drive up the price even further. Does that make sense? Yeah, so you don't want to price it overly high, but you want to have a nice level to where it's driving some type of interest. And then as a result, you may get that same number that you were trying to reach for anyway. Does that sound about right? More than what you were trying to reach right. for anyway, because then when demand you know, is at a level where it's outpacing supply as much as it is now, that's an opportunity to create an even greater opportunity to go over what the price would be. Wow. And plus, so when a property's on the market for 30 days in today's market, there's a stigmatism about it. what's wrong with this home, why hasn't right. it sold, and that's what you want to avoid as well. Right, and then that's why we, you need to go get a real estate agent. So I'm sure you will agree with that one as well. <laughs> thousand percent, yes. If you were going to be teaching a real estate 101 class, what would some of the topics be that you'd cover? You know, it's a good question, right? I think that a lot of people um, go to real estate classes, right? In Pennsylvania, there's two classes that you need to get. One's practice, one's fundamentals, or two 30-hour classes. You need to sit for your state exam and then the uniform section. Those classes are necessary to get a real estate license, and they teach you the laws and um, the ethics and, and everything that revolves around the mechanics of the transaction. But what that doesn't teach you is it doesn't teach you how to sell. Right. And, and selling isn't trying to get over on someone. Right. Selling is asking the right questions to learn the motivations and the needs of a buyer or seller and then taking those needs and concerns and making sure that you address them so that they feel most comfortable working with you rather than working with someone else. So, you know, one of the things that we focus heavily on isn't so much. Um, you know, the mechanics of the real estate transactions. We have mentors and non-competing managers who are there to help them, guide them through that transaction their first, second, and third time. But where we spend a lot of time is helping our agents understand um, consumer behavior, um, personality styles, making sure that you understand how to 
what we refer to as you know, match and mirror, uh, making sure that you understand the need to make that connection. And just because you have a certain personality style doesn't mean the rest of the world does. So you need to assess what their personality style is and try and bring yourself into a place where they're hearing you as clearly as possible because you're speaking their language. Yeah, and I, Does that I, make sense? Absolutely. And, and that's great sales advice for anything. And, and I think just people advice. I mean, there's so many times where it's so important to mirror people. People like to hear what are, are talk similar to them if they're using similar tones or, or, or different words. But I, I still, it's, it, that has to be one of the toughest jobs to, to just try to figure out people that way. Um, that's, <laughs> that's tough. It takes a lot of work, no doubt about it. Wow. It's a skill. I mean, it really is a skill. I mean, I think that, you know, oftentimes people do a lot more talking than they do listening. So, you know, the first thing that we start with is ask really good open-ended questions to get people to start to share with you. And then you start to learn what's important for them so that you can focus on the things that are important to them, not focusing on the things that you presumptively believe are important to them because that's when you fail in sales. Right. You don't want to assign a, assign a motive to them when you just want to, got to ask the question for them to, to say it out to you. Yeah. Ask a question and shut up is really what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that, not, not enough people do that. What, what's the importance of, um, of social media in, in selling real estate as well now? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's important. I mean, you know, it's, it's important because it's a platform to market homes. It's a platform to market oneself. It's a, it's a platform to, you know, continue to make sure that your network, your spheres um, know that you're out there and know what you're doing. You know, there's, there's people who do it really well and, and people who don't do it well. Um, you know, I think you, you gotta be genuine. You gotta be yourself. Um, you, you gotta, you gotta not make it about yourself, but about personally, I believe making it about the people that you're servicing, the value that you're providing. And, and just like when I said previously, you want to become the resource, you know, you want people to think about you when they think about real estate and, you know, just don't force it, just be yourself, celebrate other people, celebrate, um, you know, buyers and sellers that you helped. Um, you know, a lot of people just want to make it about themselves. And frankly, that turns people at all, turns people off, you know, try and give everyone around you what they need and you'll be able to get everything that you want. Yeah. I'm a true believer of taking care of the customer. And then obviously, you know, if you take care of them, it's going to result in taking care of yourself as well. But people, oh, it's disgusting how many people, you know, even if somebody reaches out to you on LinkedIn or something or, or in emails, I'm sure you get a lot of people reaching out. It's all about me, 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 right? It like, is, how do we overcome gotta, that? <laughs> well, you got to turn it around. You, you got you to offer service. You got to offer value, right? If you're, if you're only in it to make money and you're not in it to help people and you're not in it to help people realize their goals and their dreams and their visions, it's, it's just very transparent. People see through it very, very quickly. And that is not a success for longevity in this business. Right. And you said genuine too, and, and people truly could feel that if somebody's genuine or not. Now, there's a lot of salespeople who make other good salespeople look bad or give sales a bad name. How does a person who has good intentions go out and try and, and 
you know, if somebody sees, oh, he's a salesperson, he's probably just trying to get something from me. How do you kind of flip the switch there and, and have people have that turned down a little bit, if that makes sense? So like you're saying, how do I coach people if they're working for me and they're not doing the things that we discussed, value and genuineness? Yeah. Just direct conversations, right? I just think that feedback is a gift. Um, and while it's not often easy to deliver feedback, I believe that if we care about people and we're looking to help them grow, I think a direct conversation to just tell them, you know, how this is potentially being perceived and have them step out of their shoes and consider how it looks from other people's perspective. But, you know, it's difficult, you know, people aren't as self-aware as, you know, we'd like them to be sometimes. And, you know, people's egos run amok sometimes and, you know, they're, they're difficult to, to contain. But, you know, look, I think for the most part, people get into this business because they want to help people. And sometimes, you know, they get a little off the tracks and that's okay. But, you know, it's, it's our responsibility, the leadership team of my organization to really provide that feedback directly and, and, and as close to the issue as possible, because that's where it has the greatest amount of impact, whether they're going to listen or not, that's on them. But, right. you know, we, we <laughs> just try and be as direct as possible. Wow. And that is some great advice. What's the best piece of career advice you've ever been given? what is the best piece of career advice? You know, I've been given a lot, you know, the founder of my company, Harry Caparo has since passed, you know, one of the things that he said to me was, um, you know, it's, it's not about selling houses. It's about people and it's about the relationships that you create. Um, You know, no, one of my, one of my mentors from a couple years back, um, always said, you know, no commission is worth your reputation. And if you give your word, keep your word. And, you know, those are things that are really important. You know, you can, you can get away with one thing or two things and feel like you've, you know, maybe cut a corner and won on that short little race, but you're not going to win the marathon. You're not going to win the journey if you don't treat people right and just operate with high, high levels of integrity. Wow. That is incredible advice. That's, uh, I can't top that. That's going to be the last thing that I ask. Where could people learn? I guess one more question rather. Where could people learn more about you and learn more what you guys are doing as well? Oh my goodness. You know, if you want to learn anything more about Cobble Banker, you want to learn um, about what it takes to be a real estate agent, or if you'd like me to connect you with one of our great uh, branch leaders, just send me an email at david.krieger at cbmoves.com, K-R-I-E-G-E-R, and we'll connect you. Um, our website is cbhomes.com. Um, you know, those are, those are ways you can get us and get me, and we'd be happy to connect you with someone who can help you out. This was great. Thank you so much for, for taking some time today. My pleasure, Tyler. Thank you for uh, inviting me on. That wraps up another show of the 20% Podcast. I would love to know your feedback on this episode. So you can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Tyler Meckis, or you can send me an email at 20%podcastquestions at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, send it to your friends or anyone who could benefit from listening. I absolutely love your feedback. And sharing and subscribing to the show is the best way that we could get the word out and help as many people as we can. Additionally, if you know anybody who'd be interested to interview, please send them my way. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.